Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Besties. Welcome, everyone, to VO Booth Besties, VO101. The goal of this series is to provide current and credible information to folks who are newer to the voiceover industry and want to learn more about and learn more about the industry from pros who know. There is so much information out there, and it can be quite overwhelming. We hope to ease those feelings. Each week, we'll have a new topic and occasionally a guest speaker who is an expert on that topic. Speaking of being in the know, have you joined our weekly email list? Swing by boothbesties.com and shoot us a message with your email and we'll get you added. And if you haven't joined our VO Booth Besties Facebook group, join us there too. As usual, if you have a question as the interview goes on, simply drop it into the chat and we'll do our best to fit it in. Now, without further ado, let's get started. Over to you, JT. Thanks, NJ. Christy Bowen is a Nashville-based voice actor with over 25 years experience. She's recorded thousands of projects in e-learning, corporate narration, phone systems, commercials, and even museum tours. Past clients include IKEA, Deloitte, Son- Sony, Sarah, Can- um, my goodness, Sarah Cannon Cancer, HEB, and many more. Christy is a speaker and coach in the areas of e-learning and the voiceover business. She's spoken at numerous industry conferences on the topic of e-learning. In 2021, Christy opened Tennessee Voiceover Studios, a studio rental facility and VO training school in downtown Nashville. Back to you, NJ. Well, hello, Christy. Do you remember how to unmute yourself? Bottom right-hand corner. Oh, there it is. Hey, how are you? Great. How are you? Good. And I I love the intro music, uh, Tennessee Whiskey. That was clever. I like it. (laughs) I know. It's like... I told JT, I'm like, we need a Tennessee song. Let's think, let's think. And that's what you get. It wasn't upbeat, but man, Chris Stapleton crushes it every time. So. Absolutely. Well, we're so glad you've joined us. This is going. I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So you know what? Let's jump in. So you're a voice actor who does many different genres, but a lot of people know you for e-learning. So how did this kind of become a focus for you? Oh, boy. You know, I ended up doing a lot of e-learning kind of um, I was thrown into the deep end of the pool with that. I had been doing some marketing and reaching out. And um, at the time, I was marketing to some people from my alma mater, University of Florida. And one of the guys that responded to my marketing post was like, oh, yeah, we, we hire voice actors all the time. And so I chased him for about six months and he finally hired me and uh, he sent me this, you know, very long e-learning script and I just kept doing them for them. And then they kept sending me very technical medical scripts and I was like, oh goodness, okay, can I do this? And I just started doing more and more e-learning because those jobs allowed me to then, you know, get more jobs with other people because I had samples and I could say I had clients in that area. And it just kind of snowballed from there. But then I was asked to uh, be on a panel or speak, I think maybe a voiceover at VO Atlanta, maybe. And then the next year, uh, I I spoke with um, Laurel Thomas and uh, Paul Boucher. And the three of us spoke and did, you know, uh, X sessions and everything else. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. (laughs) It just kind of went. 
there's no better origin story than that, right? Like I tried <laughs> and things worked out and it kept going. So yes. as you mentioned, this is part of our Thursdays are geared more toward talent that are newer to the industry. Right. Yeah, um, wonderful. And so fundamentally, can you kind of explain to our audience, for those who may not know, how do you define e-learning? Like what does that project look like? Yeah. So e-learning is internal corporate training. Most of the time, I'd say about 95% of all e-learning is internal corporate training. Uh, the d idea behind an e-learning is to change behavior uh, of employees. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. We might think of sexual harassment and slips, trips, and falls and that kind of thing. But it's also, we have a new computer system. And you have to learn how to use it to complete your job. So we have to change your behavior from the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things. Therefore, it's, you know, they call it behavior change. And that doesn't, like I said, doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. And it's internal most of the time. There are some forward-facing and, you know, customer-facing e-learnings. But there, it really is mostly behind-the-scenes training within a company. So if you have to do any kind of um, law based on new laws and things that come along, uh, a lot of industries are very heavily regula regulated, and so you have to do continuing training and learning. Um, that falls into that category of e-learning. Most of the time with e-learning as well, not only what its purpose is, but e-learning is much longer than a corporate narration. Also, you are normally asked to divide the script up into the separate segments that are sent to you. The script will always be divided into little tiny segments and they'll, or they'll have uh, captions or titles for each different file. That's because the way that e-learning is constructed from the instructional design standpoint, it's broken up into segments, kind of like a very glorified PowerPoint presentation. So every time the slide changes, the voiceover would change. And with that, they want separate audio files. So e-learning is kind of a little bit bigger of a deal than corporate narration because it's usually longer. And also you do have to, most of the time for clients, expect you to send separate files. And that just makes it a little bit different than other kinds of voiceover that you do on a daily basis. So let's stay with that stream of conscious there. So e-learning, long form narration in general, tend to require additional skill sets. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. So let's talk about those. So for yeah. example, you're talking about, I'm going to kind of jump around just a little bit, but you're, you know, we're talking about editing. We're talking about mastering. We're talking about separating files. Can you dive a little deeper into this? So absolutely where the voiceover comes into play. And I loved how you already said this, that imagine a PowerPoint, right? And there's visuals happening and your voice is supporting those visuals. But is there always an engineer on the other side? You know, for so many other genres, a commercial um, and different things like that, there may be an engineer that's doing all of the editing and putting things together. How does that differ from e-learning? E-learning is mostly done, there are a few companies out there, so I will make that caveat right off the bat. There are a few companies that want you to send raw audio or will do directed sessions and they do the post-production on their end. The vast majority, though, 
they're expecting you to do all of that work. There's very few, maybe, you know, if it's a new client, they might want to get on the line with you to make sure the tone and pace are right for the first little bit of the, you know, project. And then they're like, okay, go do the rest on your own. But most of the time they will send you a script and ask you just to deliver the files. And that means you have to go through the script, look at it, make sure you have asked all the questions you need to ask as far as pronunciations, file naming, if it's not very clear. And once you have that information, then you can record the script. You will then be expected to go through and edit out all your mistakes, of course. Then QC it as you're going through and listen to it. Make sure you've said it word for word. You haven't missed a word. You haven't, you know, said and substituted a word that you shouldn't say or whatever. That you've gotten the script exactly right. Uh, with e-learning, it's very they are very particular and they don't like you to change words around um, or even contract things. If it says it is, then they expect you to say it is and not it. Um, and once you've gone through that process, then they expect you to separate the files out and name them very sometimes very specifically. And sometimes the craziest long naming conventions you could ever think of, <laughs> because those files will then correlate with the project they're creating. So if you don't name the files correctly, it will throw off their system of adding the audio that we provide to their project. So you have to know how to separate your files into, you know, different, well, separate the audio into separate files, label them correctly. And then master it and make sure that, you know, you've diminished your breaths. You know, there's silence at the beginning and ending and the file doesn't have too much silence at the beginning or too much silence at the end. Sometimes they will tell you how much exactly to the, you know, millisecond they want, like 0.5 seconds or whatever. Um, sometimes you will get clients who are very, very particular and have a very set standard for their audio. Others are just like, yeah, send me separate files. And then they leave it up to you to understand that. One of the things I like to tell people, especially when they're starting out doing e-learning, never be afraid to ask questions. It doesn't make you look like an amateur. It makes you look like a pro. Because if you're making sure that they're getting what they need and saying, I just want to confirm, here's what you need. Here's how the file should be labeled. Do you prefer a certain amount of silence at the beginning and the ending of your files? It just shows that you understand what you're doing and that you're confirming with them that you're going to be delivering the product they're expecting. It doesn't make you look like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, which a lot of people assume. Ask questions when it comes to e-learning. There, there are times in e-learning when you're dealing with somebody who is not a creative in any way, shape, or form. They are a project manager. They are just going down the list of, okay, we have the learning. We've created the files. I'm working with the instructional designer. Now I have to hire the voice actor. I need the audio files back, and they're checking boxes. So they're not the creative people at all. They're, they're the just, you know, project managers going through and making sure they've got everything to make sure they can launch the project. So they don't quite understand. You have to do the heavy lifting. So therefore, it's okay to ask questions to make sure they also know what's going on. And, you know, so. another thing that we as an industry drive home to talent all of the time is the relationship building aspect of um, you know, of projects, of, of communication, like you said, asking questions and where I want to go with that is that yeah. e-learning projects, they can be, you're, you've already shared with us. I mean, it could be, I say endless, but it could be 
years long. They could like your voice yes. and want to just, you become the voice. So what an incredible opportunity that if you have a question or, you know, you know, that you can hop on a call, you can say, Hey, can we do a Google meet or a zoom? And let me just get some clarification. And now there's the face to face. Now they know your voice. Now we're talking, maybe I'm educating that project manager, like you said, or maybe mm -hmm. I'm working with this instructional designer and they're freelance and maybe they do other projects. And now they, I mean, like the snowball effect is oh, infinite. Is wonderful. Yeah. But what an opportunity to overcome any insecurity or fear about, like you said, asking a question and view it from a place of, Hey, I'm stepping up. We're going to build a relationship. And I just think that's so important in e-learning. Do you agree? Absolutely. Because the thing about e-learning is that it's, you will always have revisions and you will always have continuous work because things change, especially if you happen to fall into something that is either medical or legal related, or like I said before, there's a lot of um, uh, continuing education that different industries need and or certification because laws and, you know, different things change every year or every couple of years. And so when that stuff changes, you get hired again because they don't necessarily need to do the entire project over, maybe just sections. Maybe they've written it in a way that most of the project is evergreen, except for a few sections here and there, because they know that numbers may change, the year may change, um, you know, certain amounts, like especially for HR, this is another great area. If you do a project for a large company and, you know, they talk about the benefits, well, you know, the Benef health benefits, the numbers change every year and they'll say the, you know, your 2022 benefits, your 2023 benefits, your 2024 benefits. So those things will change. They can hire you constantly to you know, redo little pieces and parts after you've done the major project, which means you get continual work. So developing that relationship with these companies and or, or with, you know, the end client or the freelance instructional designer or whoever is very important. Being someone they can rely on when they've got a project, which sometimes usually will be, oh, we have to update our benefits. Um, we need it by next Friday because we're having a presentation. Can you make that happen? And then they call you in a panic going, oh my gosh, I need this tomorrow. <laughs> so, you know, developing that relationship and they know they can count on you is extremely important in e-learning. And like you said, there are a lot of times these instructional designers will either move from company to company or are freelance. And when they do that, they take you with them because you're, you know, one of their trusted vendors that helps you become, you know, one of their tools in their toolbox that makes them look good and can deliver a good product. So they keep getting hired. Therefore, you keep getting hired. So it's definitely beneficial to develop really good relationships with, you know, the people that you're working with in e-learning. Excellent. So let's go back to um, kind of the technical side. Yeah. For folks that are getting into e-learning and we're talking about editing and mastering and really mm -hmm really honing those skills. In your experience, are there certain industry standards, like specifications that for e-learning, uh, as far as audio quality, is it the same as commercial? Like, are we, are we normalizing to minus 3 dB, et cetera? Are we minimizing breaths? Those kinds of things. Yeah, you know, there's not a huge, I wouldn't say that there's a standard like the ACX standards. You know, everybody kind of knows what those are and they are what they are. And I, I believe most of the time, it is nice to normalize to, you know, minus 3 dB. It is good to diminish your breaths 
in between sentences and words and things, not all of them, you know, because we do breathe and we're human. But I, I do know that most people expect there to be either room tone or silence at the beginning of the file so you don't start out a file with a big breath. Um, other than that, there's not a huge you know, set in stone law, I guess you'd say, or, you know, set of standards like, okay, all e-learning has to be this. Um, but I would say most of the time, you know, no more than half a second of either room tone or silence at the beginning of every file is kind of a standard thing. Um, and same at the end of the file. I would say that diminishing breaths is very important. You don't want huge breaths in there, but they don't need to have complete silence and they do not need to be removed. It's diminishing the breaths, not removing them is very important. Again, we we breathe. The other thing too is a lot of e-learning is listened to on headphones because, you know, if you're in an office setting, you need to do your training and, you know, instead of having that blaring out and five or six people taking the training at the same time at different points, you don't want to have it, you know, cross around. So they use headphones a lot. So any kind of noises and things that are, you know, if you're putting a noise gate on or you're dropping out your breaths, that's very noticeable and it gets very ear fatiguing for the learner. So they don't recommend doing that. Um, technical wise, definitely normalizing to minus three dB. So things are at a nice range. Um, and most of the time files are delivered. You record as a wave. It's always good to record as a wave file and save your master recording as a wave. And then most clients require MP3 files. Some require waves. Those that require MP3s, I generally don't provide them a file that is less than 192 kilobits per second because it's going to be squashed multiple times after that. So once it gets sent to them, they then put it into their system, whether it's Captivate or articulate or storyline or whatever format they're using, which is kind of like a PowerPoint, you know, project, it gets compressed. Then they upload it to what's called an LMS or a learning management system. And that's what houses the learning for the learner to go to within the company. It gets squashed again. So it keeps getting compressed and compressed. So if you deliver them, you know, a small MP3 file to begin with, by the time it's heard by the learner, it's really compressed. So if they don't give you a specific file format. I generally don't deliver anything less than a 192 MP3 file just for safety's sake. Um, sometimes I've ha I have a, had a couple of clients who say they have to have a 128 MP3 because that's what their file system will accept. But ask your client always what they want. If they don't know, default to an MP3 at 192. One of the things I really like that you said, I'm actually going to have JT jump in here, is you said you save your files in a wave. And JT, didn't you have a situation not too long ago where out of nowhere a client came back and needed an update and you had saved that file? I mean, I think it'd been years. Maybe I'm wrong. Yes. Um, because I have, a, you know, I've been doing this for almost as long as Christy. I have a pretty steady buildup of, of those clients. And, um, I have learned <laughs> the hard way to keep all of the master files. Um, when I go through and I record the entire project, I save the entire thing as one file and I call it my bulk file. 
And then I edit it and cut it into pieces from there. And that has saved my rear end on numerous occasions. And it, you know, kind of makes you look like a champion when a client can come back to you five years later and say, any chance you still have that? Because we changed this one thing. Be like, yep, yes, I do. Yeah, I've had that. I've had clients come back to me six years later and say, hey, we need you to do this. I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. (laughs) Let me find that original file. Yeah, so you always have to save as a wave because you want the highest quality possible. So yeah, Jen, same thing, you know? So let's talk about these files too. One of the things, um, you know, we talk about saving the files individually, but now we need to transfer them. So Mm -hmm. do you have an FTP, a file transfer protocol like WeTransfer or Dropbox? How are you delivering these files or how do you recommend, let me say it differently, how do you recommend talent um, transfer these files to clients? I use WeTransfer and I pay for a professional WeTransfer. It's worth the money to me just to be able to supply as many files as I need. I don't have to worry about, you know, limits um, because, again, some projects for e-learning can get very large. Um, But also it allows you to brand it. So when they, you know, click on the link in your email, it goes to your page with your, you know, branding or your photo or whatever you want. So again, it's another reinforcement of you're a professional (laughs) Um, and, you know, name recognition and everything. So I use WeTransfer. However, I do have many clients that provide me with a link that say, when you're done, please upload the files here. That's starting to become more of a thing. You know, when I first started, you know, five, six years ago, even I was doing more WeTransfer. But there are lots of clients now who are providing me with links to their internal systems. And they have file folders labeled with all their, you know, either voice talent or their projects or whatever. So I am just using their FTP systems, um, whether it's, you know, Box or Dropbox or whatever they happen to provide. But if I have to deliver the files myself, I usually do WeTransfer. Um, if it's a small amount of files, because some e-learnings are very short. I did one this morning. In fact, before this call, it was only four minutes long for that particular module. Now, there are going to be 15 modules in the whole project, but they're delivering them chunks at a time. And it was four minutes total. I was able to zip those files and just attach it to the email. Um, But most of the time, I prefer WeTransfer for a couple of reasons. Um, It gives them a chance to not miss it in their email or have maybe a potential, you know, block on, uh, you know, firewalls or something on their end if it's an attachment. The other reason is I can always go back into WeTransfer and look and see Yes, they've downloaded it. No, they haven't. I can send them a link in an email, which is easier and may not get blocked by their firewalls. Um, It also shows me that, you know, if I ever happen to have a computer crash or whatever, they're saved in the cloud for a little while longer on WeTransfer. I can go back and go, hey, I'm going to download those files again (laughs) if something happened, you know, just by accident. So, you know, it's another backup system. That's great. I I love WeTransfer. I've been using it all the time over the last probably six months, actually. It's it's new word to me. But I agree that clients are also, it, it gives them accountability when they're able to provide it for you. You see the same thing yeah. with, you know, lots of different areas. So I think that's great. How do you, in your experience, how do you feel the genre has shifted in the past few years? I would say aside from the technolo- technological side, again, like transferring files and things like that, do you think, have you seen a change? Do you think we're 
whether it's the voice, whether it's, um, I don't know, kind of the process. Have you seen a change? I have seen some changes, you know, from when I first started. And I don't know if it's just the particular clients that I've been working with or the things I'm hired for. But even within that, and even in some of my larger clients I've been working with for 10 or 11 years, um, shorter modules, more of them, but shorter modules. Instead of getting really long scripts that you're like, oh, gosh, 49 pages. Okay. You know, it's now, you know, four pages at a time, five pages at a time, because they're separating the learning out into smaller chunks and modules versus one big long training. Um, I think because they're finding that, you know, learners now, because there's so much learning theory and they're experimenting with different styles and things for learners themselves, that they're using that science that they're, you know, they're testing and they're using to decide that, you know, okay, there are different learning styles out there. We're going to experiment. We're going to try this. We're going to try gamifying a little bit. We're going to try making it very conversational. We're going to try two different voice actors talking with each other, or, you know, we'll give half of it to a male and half of it to a female. Um, And they're just trying a lot of different things. It's not just straight narrator copy anymore that I'm seeing. There's a lot of things that are that are going on to make the learning more exciting, to make it more engaging, to make it workable, and honestly, to get better results. It's very hard to quantify the results in some ways. Companies, sometimes it takes them a while to see the results. Um, obviously, if it's a training on how to use a new computer system or how to log in to, you know, get paid and, and you know, upload your timesheet or whatever, they're going to see those results pretty quickly because either their people are not going to get paid and complain <laughs> or they're going to not be using the computer systems, right? So that's pretty easy to find out. But if it's anything else like, you know, general high concepts on management or, you know, slips, trips and falls or sexual harassment, whatever, you know, sometimes that stuff can go in people's ears and out the other. And it's hard to find real ROI for that, for the, you know, for the training department. But other times they they really are finding ways to quantify the results a little bit more. And so they're experimenting. So you see that in scripts, you see how they're written. Um, there, I've seen a lot of change with them being a little less formal and a little more conversational. Um, that's definitely a trend that's been going on for years, but I see it a lot more. Um, I see them also hiring a lot of different, um, you know, more representation, a lot more representation. Yeah. That's what I was right where you, before we hit the half hour, I want to kind of go there for a second. The conversational read, the engagement, you know, we're also in, you talk about learning theory and different, you know, where we're in a place now where people's attention spans, not, not that we haven't always been there, but it's definitely, you know, come to the forefront where we have six seconds, you know, attention spans. So you are seeing more of a conversational approach uh, mm-hmm. to the e-learning. And I, I do. I think that allows for more engagement, more attention that if somebody feels like you're talking with them versus at them. I know my husband does. Um, he has a his PMP certification. And just the yeah. other day, he was doing a, um, a module just for points or whatever to keep up with his right. certification. And he just sat there and he's like, this is the most horrible. He's like, you have to get to the, talk to this company. (laughs) I mean, he just, it was like, it wasn't a, it was not a synthetic voice or anything, but it was, I mean, it just was so 
mundane, monotonous. Like it just, was yeah. not, I'm not finding the right word, but it was just like, da 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 da. And he was like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe I have to go through, you know, so many of these. So, anyhow, but to the point, the more conversational, I, and where I wanted to go with that too is, do you find, you said, talked about less formal scripts. Have you run into bad scripts in oh, learning? Oh, gosh, tons, especially depending on who the, uh, company is that's hiring you. There are times when, you know, they are overseas. And so English is not their first language. And maybe the audience is not, you know, is made up of people from all over. Or, you know, it's for a U.S. company, but they're hiring an offshore, you know, outside the United States, potentially India or other, you know, Ukraine or wherever else. There are a lot of companies outside the U.S. that are creating this training. And then, it, you know, they hire a U.S. speaker and then it's for a U.S. audience. And you're reading it going, okay, I would never talk like this to another, you know, American or North American, you know, or Canadian. But it's written by other people. <laughs> and so, therefore, it can be very challenging sometimes. I've actually had to have discussions back and forth with several of my clients saying, okay, I'm, I changed this particular line or I've given you both options. But, you know, if, if my audience is American, um, they're probably not going to respond to this particular, you know, uh, line or whatever it is, or this particular script, because it's not written in a way that makes sense to an English speaking, you know, American English speaking audience. Um, would you consider changing it to this? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. I always give them what they've originally written, but sometimes they're very badly written, you know, and I have to make my case and, you know, very politely as much as I can. But, you know, uh, yeah, sometimes you get things that are just, wow. <laughs> you just have to yeah. scratch your head and go, okay, I'm going to record it as is. And I know they're going to come back to me and change it, but I get to charge for revisions. You know, I mean, you try your best. And if they say, no, please record as written. You do. The you know, people at the company hear it and go, what in the world is that? That's not going to work for our audience. Change it, please. And you get paid again. So, you know, sometimes that's not always a bad thing. <laughs> I just say it that way. Sometimes it's not a terrible thing. Well, I was just going to ask, do you ever ask a client, you know, is it okay for me to change this? Because uh, I've had both. I, you yeah. know, some that say yes and some that say no. Um, yeah. Have you ever run into a client where it is written poorly and when you address it with them, they ask you to go ahead and update the entire script and do you charge them for that? I haven't had many people ask me to update the entire script. I did uh, several years ago. I remember having a, a client that did ask for that because it was also something where I was hiring other voice actors because there were like five or six people in the conversation all the time. And mm -hmm. it was so terribly written. I couldn't even, I didn't even feel comfortable passing it along to the other voice actors because I knew they were going to be like, what is this? And I don't know what to say and asking me a thousand questions. So yes, at that point I did charge them. Um, I went back to them and said, you know, I, I need to let you know that these conversations are very much not workable for us as actors. Um, can we talk about this? And so we did get on a Zoom call and we discussed it and they said, please feel free to change it, run it by us before, you know, just to make sure. We did that process every time. Um, and, you know, it was a very long project. I think it went on for like two years. So every time they had another module, we'd do the same, you know, same process. 
So yeah, every now and then that does happen. Um, I haven't had that as much lately, but you know, that has happened in the past. I do suggest sometimes, hey, I'm happy to work with you on this and review the script. Um, if you would like me to make significant revisions or suggestions, there is a charge for that. And here's my fee. And a lot of times they will come back and say, sure, great, go for it. We don't have the time. Or other times, no, we'll run it by our client again and get back with you with an updated script. I've had both. Okay. So it's it's acceptable to do that. It's just all in the way you approach a client. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you have to be as polite as possible because you don't know exactly who wrote it. You don't right. know if they're under such kind uh, time constraints that they're like, no, go ahead and do it as written. We'd have to deliver. And then, you know, when in the review process, they're expecting the changes, you know, their client will say, hey, yeah, we hate this. We don't like the way this word is. We change this line. We change that line. And then you just do it again. Um, you know, it depends. I think it really depends on the client and where are you know, the production company and or instructional design company and the deadlines they're given by their end client. So, yeah, I mean, I've had both, but I, I do think it's all in how you approach it. You have to be as professional as possible, not put anyone down, but just point out that potentially the audience for this e-learning might have difficulties in the way this is written. Is there anything I can do to help you with that? Right. And then so you're solving their problem. Yeah, exactly. Trying to, yeah, trying to point out something to them that they might not know or understand. They might not see the problem because it's not their first language. Right. Um, real quick, before we move on, it looks like we're at the half hour, so I'm going to do a quick room reset. If you've just joined us, we are VO Booth Besties. Our goal is to help working voice actors get the answers to their questions from the pros who know. Today, we're joined by the remarkable Christy Bowen, and we are discussing e-learning. Um, NJ, it looks like we have just a couple questions from the chat. Yeah, before we jump into those, let me just ask a couple more um, that we've got listed. Yep, and then we'll turn that over. So, Christy, one of the questions we hear all the time, and they're, they're probably in, intertwined in the chat as well, where do I find e-learning jobs? Who am I connecting with? How am I pitching myself? Um, what, you know, who, who should, how should people be approaching this? Is it P2Ps? Is it direct marketing? Um, is it LinkedIn? Yes, <laughs> to all. Exactly. That's the short answer. Yeah, exactly. Short answer. Okay. So the longer answer is, um, you know, definitely direct marketing is always good, especially if you have a background, you know, prior to voiceover, um, you know, because most of us have had another job in our life, you know, or two or whatever, whatever specialty or area you may have some kind of insight into and maybe be considered a subject matter expert, let's say, you know, medical field or IT or customer service or sales or whatever, reaching out to companies that you have some connection with, something that, you know, you've done for years or whatever is always a good place to start for your direct marketing because you can talk their language. And that's one of your selling points. That's a value add to them. So when you're approaching them, it's I, you know, I've worked for X number of years in this particular field. I understand your audience. I can be considered your subject matter expert. Therefore, I would love to, the opportunity to work with you, um, you know, when you do your training. 
um, reaching out to the training. Well, okay. So that's one thing in direct marketing. Pay to plays also have an abundance of this work. It's a great place to try to find it. Agents are not. Agents sometimes have e-learning, but very rarely. So for people who are thinking, can I get this work from an agent or whatever? mm, Probably not. I'm not going to say never, but just it's not as you know, uh, plentiful through agents. Um, There's also connections on LinkedIn and Twitter, not Instagram so much. Uh, A lot of people in instructional design who are the people, you know, instructional designers, um, content creators, learning and development trainers. Those are a lot of the key words for people who are, have the titles and some variation thereof that would be doing the, you know, the work that would then hire us. They are the creators of the content, like a, you know, a producer or like a creative director on the advertising side. So in the e-learning world, it's an instructional designer or instructional developer, a content creator, creative developer. Those are some of the learning and development, training department, whatever. Sometimes human resources, because depending on how big or small the company is, the human resources person is tasked with the training, you know, when they have new hires or benefits, management, whatever. So those are the areas that you're going to look for. LinkedIn and Twitter tend to be where those people are. Um, They like to share learning theory with each other. They like to share the latest learning trends on, you know, Twitter. Uh, They also, you know, through um, LinkedIn as well, because it's, you know, it's B2B. The thing about e-learning compared to a lot of other work that we do other than, you know, corporate narration is business to business. It's, you know, it's more you're dealing with companies than dealing with advertisers or, you know, creative people, Um, mainly because they think a lot of what we do is kind of (laughs) Hollywood-like. So they're like, ooh, a voice actor. Oh, they'll listen to our demos and think, you know, if it's a demo of a spot we didn't do. Oh, we've got the voice who did, you know, Macy's commercials or what, that kind of thing. So they get very enamored with that um, when they're, you know, more corporate-minded folks than creative-minded folks. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, where to look for the work, that's always the thing everyone's searching for, obviously. But those are all good places to look for the work. I will tell you there are a lot of people on LinkedIn searching for this work. And, you know, people do get it uh, through that way. I think a lot of the instructional designers and people that are on LinkedIn are kind of inundated with us voice actors reaching out to them. But I think if you are sharing your value, sharing content with them that is relevant to their jobs and how you can make their life easier and better, that's going to set you apart and also going to make it you know, instead of I'm desperate, hire me, you know, they don't like that. Um, But you also have to have a really good demo and you need to have a really good sense of what you're trying to accomplish um, so that you can bring value to them instead of, you know, yes, they're going to pay you and we all need to eat and, you know, provide a roof over our head. And they all know that. So do they. But I think if you're providing them content, they're more willing to be open to listening to you and engaging with you. Excellent. Well, you have, you've taken me right down the path I was going to next, which is, oh, I read your we, mind. yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like we, we knew it was happening here. Um, exactly. 
how important, <clears throat> or excuse me, well, one, how important is an e-learning demo specifically? And two, do you find that you're actively auditioning for e-learning jobs? Or is it more of that I've built a relationship, we found one another through one of these platforms maybe, and I'm just getting directly hired? Um, I'll answer the, the second question first. So when it comes, I, you know, I have a stable of clients, so they send me stuff all the time, so I don't have to audition as much. Um, but when you're first starting out, yeah, auditioning all the time. And I do still audition for things. I mean, I have some very good long-term clients who are like, hey, um, our client wants us to send them several options. So in this case, do you mind doing an audition? And sometimes they'll come back to me and say, oh, they chose someone else for this job. We, we really were hoping you would get it, but they chose someone else. But, you know, we'll hit you up on the next one. And I'm like, okay, fine, you know. So uh, there are times when I still audition and I will find things through, you know, other platforms and things to audition for. And, you know, I, I never want to you know, limit myself. I always try to keep my options open and I think everyone should. Auditioning for, you know, e-learning is a good thing. Um, but I, I find that most of the work I've been doing lately is just because I have regular clients and they just send me the work. Uh, but yeah, a little bit of both. And it takes a while to get to that point. I know the new people who haven't started this yet are like, well, I, I'm not there, which means you're going to have to audition for them. Um, when it comes to having a, a you know, a specific e-learning demo, I think if you, when you're starting out, if you have a narration demo that has maybe a piece of e-learning where it's the, you know, the typical, in this module, we'll discuss blah, 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 you know, or something of, you know, click next to continue, something that is kind of a typical e-learning style clip is not a bad thing. You could get away with a narration demo because you're speaking not in, you're not trying to sell a product as much. You know, you're you're just conveying information, which is what they're listening for. Um, eventually, it's best to probably have a specific e-learning demo. Uh, just you know, just send them. Maybe you have any just a narration demo, and you relabel it e-learning demo. You know, to send to somebody so that when they're looking at it, they're like, "I didn't ask for narration; I asked for e-learning." You know, I mean, you can do that too. Um, if, you know, when you're starting out, if you only have the funds for one or two demos and you do commercial and narration, a narration demo generally suits just fine to start with. Again, having a piece that sounds e-learning-ish <laughs> on there is not a bad thing. When it but, comes yeah. to, so, so Jane asked, what should be included on the demo? Like, are we talking about range? Are we talking about character voices? Are we talking, you know, like what, what does an e-learning demo include in your experience that would sell think, you? Yeah, I definitely think it needs to have range and it needs to have a definitely a character kind of thing and definitely, you know, kind of the, the straight narrator speak again, just because they need to know that you can do that because they're going to have projects that require that. But also range as far as your voice style um, maybe sounding younger or a little, you know, older, a little more mature or trustworthy, I guess you could say, um, a character kind of thing or a very conversational thing. Like maybe it's a, you know, it's a scenario where you're talking to someone. Oh, yes, Mr. So-and-so, I've, I've heard that, you know, I understand that you're having a problem with this. We're here to help you, you know, kind of sales tactic kind of thing or customer service relation thing or um, very much talking to employees, things that are based on talking to employees about stuff, um, uh, you know, about a topic, you know, pick your, you know, pick your uh, 
industry, I think having a wide variety of industries present is good if you feel comfortable with medical narration um, or even mild medical or healthcare related topics, having something that shows that you don't mind that, uh, maybe having something that's very heavily technical. If, again, you feel comfortable doing that, like I said, if you have a background in IT, something really, you know, super technical with a whole bunch of words that people are like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> it just makes them go, oh, yeah, they get it. Um, it. Definitely showing range, a little bit of character in there. If you're, again, comfortable, maybe an accent or two of, you know, if something you can do, like I, I have a, you know, a piece that has Southern in it just because I can do that. Um, again, Tennessee. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you happen to have, be able to do a great New England accent or very, you know, flat Midwestern or whatever it is, or California vibe, because there are a lot of companies based in different places. If you can do kind of a trans, you know, transatlantic, as they call it, or, you know, whatever it's called nowadays, something that has that vibe to it, that's great too, because there are many companies that are worldwide and they're training learners that have you know, English is, many of them have English as a second language. They have a great command of it, but it's not their first language. So therefore, having something that is very neutral is also a good thing. If you happen to be able to do a little mid-Atlantic style voice, showcasing that. Um, again, range is very important. That's excellent. That's excellent. Um, is this a is this kind of demo one you can DIY? Does it need to have music beds? Do you need to have it professionally done? Do you need to be coached to it in your experience? Um, boy, if you've been doing this for a really long time, you could probably do your own. I don't even do my own. And I've been doing this for a long time because I, I just want somebody else's ears on it. I don't. So I think you can DIY some, quote, samples, which I know are very popular right now on the, you know, pay to play platforms, doing a quick one-off sample without music or anything behind it for any learning is fine. If you're going to create a demo, it needs to be a demo. It needs to, you know, not every piece has to have music to it. Not every piece needs to be overly produced. It should be very, you know, there should be definitely some that don't have any music or sound effects behind them whatsoever, because that's generally how it's going to be produced in the end by the clients anyway. So that's what they want to hear. However, it's nice to have a little bit of production quality to it you know, every now and then every other piece or so, just so they, again, they get dazzled by the Hollywoodness of it. <laughs> and it makes you feel like an even bigger professional in their eyes. You know, they're like, ooh, this person really knows what they're doing, you know, and it just, it gives them the warm fuzzies, which is what you want. Um, I think you can DIY some samples, but I wouldn't DIY a whole demo you know, I, I just even think, you know, if you've been doing this for a long time, if there happen to be any, you know, people on this particular clubhouse that have, you know, have been doing it for a while hearing this, get another set of ears on it and another set of, you know, another opinion instead of just doing it yourself. Because I think sometimes we don't hear everything that we need to hear about ourselves. And, you know, we're not listening to it as a client would. So I don't really suggest DIYing it, maybe a sample, but not a whole demo. I, I think that's excellent advice. So as we start nearing the end of the hour, tell us about Tennessee VoiceOver Studios. Sure. Um, Tennessee VoiceOver Studios kind of came out of me running the um, meetup group here in Nashville for, gosh, it's been almost 12 years now. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the, we would meet once a month for, an hour, you know, two hours. And a lot of people kept wanting to get more and more 
training and I just had the opportunity to actually rent a, you know, brick and mortar location um, in a former, in a building called Film House. I worked there for 12 years as a producer and I know all the people, you know, that run the building and everything else. And there's lots of other production companies and, you know, media related entities in the building and it just kind of worked out and so we uh, hold training classes both virtually and in person um, we do private coaching we have group classes of course we do demos uh, I have studio booth rental in fact I had two clients yesterday um, and so you know we do a lot of different things um, and you know we're there to support the voiceover community. I have something called the three stars of the week, and it's an email that I send out um, to everybody who, you know, subscribes. And it's, we focus on three areas at the studios. Um, the Tennessee state flag has a circle with three stars in it. And I kind of use those three stars along with the fact that I'm a massive hockey nut. And at the end of every game, they have the three stars of the game. So the three stars thing just kind of felt right and it's performance business and technical i feel those are the three pillars that every voice actor is required to have to have a successful career whether part-time or full-time you have to understand the technical to know how to edit and record yourself and deliver a good product you have to know the performance side to be marketable and hireable but 80 percent of it is the business side knowing how to run a business and so that's what we teach at the studios. And so therefore I have the three stars of the week newsletter and it covers each of those topics, you know, something about performance, something about business, something about technical. Um, and so that's a service that we, you know, just, I send out to people. So they are in the know about what's happening in the business in the industry. Um, and so, yeah, Tennessee voiceover studios does a lot of things and it's growing. We are not at full capacity like I want us to be, but we are getting there. <laughs> it's only now, been about two years. Well, so, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. That's why, and yeah. we've got you here, so we're spreading the word. Now, Thank do you. you. Offer, do you offer virtual coaching? Casey asked if you work with new yes. talent coach. Absolutely. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So Absolutely. Yeah, we offer, and we have several coaches on, um, you know, that work with me. Um, it's not just me. Um, we also have Kevin Kilpatrick who coaches. Um, he does a lot of what he, his class is called Middle Class Voiceover because that stemmed from his um, podcast, Middle Class VO. Um, we also have uh, a guy named Sean Rogers who is a studio owner and um, audio producer here in town who teaches the technical class. I have Brad Oxnam who is a voice actor and also uh, a, a um, actor and director. He is an MFA in acting and he teaches acting for us and beginning acting and he's getting ready to start a intermediate acting class. Um, I also have guest directors and, and, and coaches a lot. We have, This month we have Hugh Klitsky, who's an amazing director and coach. Um, also Daniel Cohen, who is teaching improv and um, uh, animation because he's, you know, very well-known um, animation guy out in Hollywood. And gosh, I mean, we have a whole bunch of different people that teach with us. We have J. Rodney Turner, who teaches audiobooks because he is so prolific in the audiobook world and well-known there. So I've got lots of different people supporting me. It's not just me all the time, but, you know, I, I do majority of the new, uh, you know, newer talent coaching um, to get them into the business. So yeah, we do private coaching. I have group coaching. We've got 
lots of stuff, both virtually and in person. So if you happen to be in Nashville, you know, we'd love to have you stop by. <laughs> that is awesome. Now, will we be seeing you at the One Voice Conference in Dallas? Yes, you will. In fact, we are a bronze sponsor. Tennessee VoiceOver Studios is a bronze sponsor. So we will be there and you can stop by the booth and ask about different things, pick up a few goodies that I have hopefully coming in the mail soon. <laughs> Fingers crossing fingers, they're delivered. Yes, but I will be at the One Voice Conference. I'm not speaking this year, but I will be sponsoring and I will be there to, you know, be on hand to answer questions and just, you know, also learn because I never stop learning myself because I think the best way to coach others is to keep up with the current trends, know what's happening out there, you know, be well-versed in things myself because, you know, and there are a lot of genres that I don't teach at the school because they're not something I do. And therefore, I suggest other coaches. I will always suggest other coaches, even for what I do, because I think people need to be well-rounded and get a lot of different opinions and ideas. Um, I kind of consider everybody who comes to the studios, I give them an empty toolbox and it's their job to go fill it up with different tools from different places because you can't build anything with only one tool. You have to have a nice solid foundation and that takes lots of tools. And to build on that foundation, you need you know, you can't build anything with just a hammer. You can't build anything with just a screwdriver. You have to have all of it. So I like to give people the empty toolbox and say, okay, now that you have this, go fill it up. Here are all these wonderful, amazing coaches and classes and, you know, genres you can explore. You do you, you run your business, have a great time, come back when you want more information on a particular thing that we happen to be providing. If not, I'm happy to suggest who you should go see. Because I, I don't believe that it all needs to be me. This is not a huge vanity or money making. You know, I'm not like, I have to earn money. I have to sell. I have to sell. That's not what I'm about. I'm more about, I'm here to help the industry. And that's, that's what this is for me. Well, you're so. amongst, you're amongst good people because we feel the same way. I know you guys that. do. And I love my VO booth bestie ladies. Definitely. Well, it just, you know, this is. In any entertainment industry, you know, one, we know it's so subjective. One, we know it's a place. Um, certainly being in a booth can be very lonely. And there's a lot of insecurity and imposter syndrome and all the things. And my goodness, what better way to lift each other up, right, than to just support one another, to share information and, yeah, build each other up. I think it's great. Um, yeah, I agree. I think we have, I'm just doing a real quick, this has been amazing. I can't believe we're, we're already at the hour. Dean Brown, P2Ps, we discussed that. Matt Nelson asked about direct marketing in P2Ps and who to connect with. We covered that. Uh, samples and e-learning uh, for prospects for Jane, we answered that. Casey connect with Christy. You two can work together. And I think that's everything. So yay. yay. Thank you, Christy. You're <laughs> you guys. Well, we have made it to an hour, but before you go, Christy, we like mm -hmm. to ask our guests three for fun questions, kind of James. Okay. Style. So the first one is what singer, band, or composer are you enjoying right now? Ed Sheeran. Ed yeah. Sheeran. Did I mention Ed Sheeran? I'm actually going to his, I've been to one concert already this year on his tour and I have two more coming up next week. I'm going Stop. to Friday. And oh my God. <laughs> fan. Okay. Yeah. Cheerio. Oh my gosh. I love it. Uh, okay. Um, our second question, if you listen to podcasts, what podcast have you been listening to lately? 
Oh, shout out to my friend Mark uh, Scott for his VOPreneur podcast. Um, I also listened to my dear friend Kevin Kilpatrick and Bobby Maxwell. Happy birthday, Bobby Maxwell, today. Uh, their podcast, Middle Class VO, although they are rebranding and coming up with a new name. So oh. that's to be announced. Yeah. So that uh, is definitely a podcast I listen to. Um, gosh, that's that's all I've had time for lately. Well, <laughs> Honestly. Okay. Sometimes yeah. we, have, we have guests on and they're like, you know what? I don't listen to podcasts. I'm like, that's okay. But at least you were able to name a few. We could give a few shout outs. So our last question is, this one's usually the tough one. What is your favorite dessert? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, that's not fair. Can I, I don't, I don't eat a lot of dessert, but when I do, it's either cobbler of some kind or probably oh gosh i really love tiramisu um yeah. <laughs> oh gosh oh, you, bread pudding bread pudding there you bread go. pudding there you okay. go bread pudding is it yep. outstanding all right i'm going to turn it over to jt thank you christy for being here so much fun and so much good information um we want to thank everybody in the audience for joining us today and each week we so appreciate your support we want to remind everybody that Via Booth Besties is live two days a week, and we invite you to join us Monday nights at 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern for our VO 101 series, Thursdays at 10 a.m., 1 p.m. And uh, by the way, Bobby Maxwell is in good company because um, AB isn't here today with us because her family dropped in to surprise her because it is her birthday as well. So, Oh, if- happy birthday, Alicia! <laughs> yeah. So if you're on social later, drop her a happy birthday. Um, meanwhile, be sure to connect with each of us on LinkedIn, join the VO Booth Besties Facebook group, and replays are all available to listen to on our website, boothbesties.com, on YouTube, uh, or pretty much anywhere where you find your favorite podcast. Be sure to share your comments, like, and subscribe, and as NJ mentioned at the beginning of the hour, sign up for the VO Booth Besties Monday newsletter so you know what's coming up in the week ahead. You'll also find a link to discounts from our affiliate partners, including Paul Schmidt, V123 Pros, Voice123, George the Tech, and more. All right. And we are excited to share that on Monday, our guest speaker will be automotive rock star, Jenna Birmingham. If you thought about getting into automotive, even for a minute, you won't want to miss it. And once again, thank you, Christy. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. VO Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing. thing.